In our continuing study in the book of Daniel, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to discover through the life of Nebuchadnezzar that pride indeed comes before the fall. And if you'll turn with me to Daniel chapter 4, we'll pick up where we left off in our last meeting, where Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn a lesson as to the truth of this particular principle of life. In this chapter, there are five areas that we're going to examine that will help us expose the problem of pride, not only in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, but also in our lives as well. Starting with verse 1, we read these words. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. It says, and I saw a dream and it made me fearful and these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. <clears throat> said, so I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. It says, then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans and the diviners came in and I related the dream to them, but they couldn't make known its interpretation to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I related to the dream to him, saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen, along with its interpretation. The first thing that stands out as we go through this particular passage are the circumstances surrounding his dream. We learned, and it's a retrospective where Nebuchadnezzar is, is going to take us on a journey, and it will be a flashback of his life. There's been a miraculous change that has taken place in the the heart of this man who has, uh, up till this point in time, been a man of tremendous pride and arrogance. He was a man that, if you recognize and understand so far in our study, he is a man that was arrogant and he was proud. He had been given a vision or a dream of the coming kingdoms of the world, and the only thing he could camp on or dwell on was the fact that he was the image or the head of gold. And as a result, he produced an image nine feet wide by 90 feet high that he dedicated to himself. And this pride was overwhelming as we see this dedication of the image where he called all the peoples of his kingdom to come forward and to look at this image. And when they played the music, they were to bow down and worship this image that he had dedicated to himself and for his own glory and for his own purposes. His pride was out of control. He was a man of great arrogance. He was arrogant to the point where God's people, when they did not bow down before this image to worship it, he risked even the lives of his own nation's war heroes by telling them to take these three men and to throw them into a fiery furnace. And as they followed out his orders, they were uh, destroyed in the process. As they lifted him up onto the fiery furnace, the men of great valor, we're told, died in the process where God protected his people. This man had a tremendous problem with pride. He was an arrogant man beyond all description. And yet there's a miraculous change that takes place in his life. And in a retrospective, he's going back to tell us what was going on. Because what was fascinating in his life is, in spite of the fact that he had everything the world had to offer, there was one thing that he continued to lack, and that was he had no peace in his life. There's nothing more frustrating than to have everything the world has to offer and have no peace in your own heart. He was fearful. Again, God sent him a dream, a dream that was a wake-up call to him, a wake-up call to confront his pride and his arrogance. And he was fearful because of the dreams that God had sent his way. And yet he was still a proud man and an arrogant man, and he did not heed the warnings of God. 
What's fascinating, as he was confronted by Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow down before this image that he had, that he had dedicated, must have been tremendously frustrating to Nebuchadnezzar to see that here were three men in front of him who had nothing as far as the world had to offer, who, was, who were facing a, a certain death at his hands, and yet they continued to praise God and to worship God, and they had a sense of peace about them that, w- that went beyond all comprehension and understanding. There has to be tremendous frustration to think that you have everything and that person has nothing, but they have the one thing that you're looking for, and that's peace. And so as he was going through this process, Nebuchadnezzar finally discovered how he too could have peace with God. And so he takes us on this journey, this retrospective, and what's interesting as we look at this, we have to ask the question, and that is, what happened in his life? What brought about this miraculous change and what had taken place? So he takes us through this dream, and we read about the content of the dream in verses 10 through 17. We read these words. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky. And it was visible to the end of the earth. Its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant. And it it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. And all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. And behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. An angel with this message. He shouted out and spoke as follows. Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. And this sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones. In order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes, he sets over it the lowliest of men. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and it just scares him to death. It's a frightening dream because he doesn't quite understand or comprehend it. And it's fascinating as you consider it and look at it that in many ways this dream parallels the parables that Jesus would tell in the New Testament. There are many times that Jesus would tell a story, which is a parable, to illustrate a spiritual truth by using the physical world around him to help illustrate what he's trying to get across. And what's fascinating to me is that so often is the case, there are those who appreciate and understand the story, but they cannot discern the meaning. And the reason they cannot discern the meaning is because they're not spiritually minded people. How many times did Jesus look at his own disciples and look at them and say, do you too? Not understand? It's bad enough that everybody else doesn't understand, but you are with me. You you should understand. You should be more spiritually minded. This shouldn't be a surprise or shock to you when I'm trying to explain. You should pick up on it. And yet there are many times, as we know as we go through the Word, that Jesus had to explain the parables. And the reason for it is that they didn't understand it. You know, many of us are not spiritually minded people. We read this passage and we don't have a clue what's going on. And then God says, hey, you know what? We need to be spiritually minded. We need to be men and women who are spiritually minded, who spend time studying the Word of God, who understand the truth of the Word of God, so that God can use us as He prepares us for service at a future date and time. Daniel was a spiritually minded man. Daniel understood, not only did God give him the gift to understand the dream, but Daniel was tuned in to the mind of God because he knew the Word of God. 
And he knew what was about to take place. And as we look at this, we see in the verses that are coming, Daniel's comments on the dream. Daniel is going to comment on the dream, and it's fascinating as we look at this, starting with verse 18, we read this. This is the dream which I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Balthachazzar, tell me its interpretation. Inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Do you notice that in what we're talking about as we look at this, there's something about Daniel that is different than everybody else that's on his staff. There's a spirit about him. There's a countenance about him. There's something about him that continues to draw Nebuchadnezzar to him, even though we know that he first turned to his own human wisdom before he would turn to Daniel, who represented the living God. He didn't really want to hear what God had to say. He was going to try to resolve it on his own. But when that all fails, as it always does, and man's ways always fail, and there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction, and when our lives are all messed up, finally we turn to God and say, explain to me now what is going on. So there was something different about Daniel and he stood out from the rest of them. And he even understood, Nebuchadnezzar, that there's a spirit in you that's different than the spirit that's in everybody else. Who is that spirit? It says in Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you. And its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree that you saw which became large and grew strong. Whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth. And whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in which was food for all. Under which the beasts of the field dwelt. And in those branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king. For you have become great and grown strong. And your majesty has become great and reached to the sky. And your dominion to the end of the earth. And in that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, both a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. He says, This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has, become upon, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place be with the beasts of the field, and you be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize the Most High as ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. Therefore, O King, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away from your sin by doing righteousness, and from your iniquities, by showing mercy to the poor, in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Wow. No wonder Nebuchadnezzar was shook up as he reads, as, as he sees this dream, and he's fearful because of what he thinks is happening, but he's not quite sure. He begins to realize that, you know what, God has a way of getting our attention, and it's his great love and mercy that he goes after us and he continues to find us and he continues to pursue us. You know, it's fascinating as I think about this whole idea of God's love. You know, God continues as we saw last time. Nebuchadnezzar saw the signs along the, the highway of life. God tried to get his attention on several opportunities in several different ways in several different manners. 
And I spoke at the funeral of the man who was killed this past week, and I was reminded of the truth again of how many times and in how many ways God tries to get the attention of people. It's a wake-up call. And the words I used to the audience that day were the same words I'll share with you, and that is that God uses death as a wake-up call to man. And we need to recognize and understand that it's because of His love for us. Everything God does is motivated by His love to get our attention so that he will, he, will, he will reveal Himself to us. We're so often confused and confounded by the circumstances surrounding the events of life. We get people who gather together at a funeral and all they're more interested in or all they seem to be concerned about is how did it happen, when did it happen, why did it happen, where did it happen, instead of the fact that it happened. We're sidetracked with all the trivial things that don't make any difference at all, but the reality is that it happened. And we are there today because a man was killed. Interesting as we think about this, because God tries to get our attention in many different ways. You know, Solomon said that the mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the mind of the fool is in the house of pleasure. And there's a lot of truth to that. Because death has a way of gathering our attention when many of the other events of life simply do not. Whether in adversity or in prosperity, the thing that was interesting about Nebuchadnezzar was that he said, while I was flourishing in my palace and everything was going great, he had no adversity. The only thing that he was missing was peace in his life, contentment in his life, joy in his life, an understanding and sense of assurance and confidence where, why he was where he was and where he was heading after he died. Man cannot escape the inevitable fact that we're all going to die. The interesting thing is, what are we going to do about it? And as we look at this and we go through this, there's three things that jump out at this wake-up call as far as Nebuchadnezzar is concerned. The first thing I already mentioned was Nebuchadnezzar's assurance that Daniel would be able to do what his other advisors could not do. There was a spirit within him that was different than the spirit within those who had surrounded him. While the rest of his council let him down, he knew that Daniel would not let him down. And what's fascinating about this is, can you imagine for a moment as Daniel understood the dream and understood that the dream applied to Nebuchadnezzar and understood the judgment of God applied to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel was fearful to, to share it with the king. It said that there was something in his mannerism in verse 19. He was appalled for a while while his thoughts alarmed him. And it must have been so obvious to Nebuchadnezzar that look at his response was. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. It was obvious that he was hesitant to share what he was about to share. And, Bel and Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, whatever it is, I need to know the truth. Because there's something in the heart of man, while we don't want to hear the truth, we know we need, to ne we know we need the truth. Because in the heart of man, we know that it's only the truth that will ever set us free from the bondage that we're in. So Nebuchadnezzar didn't want Daniel to become like the rest of his counselors and advisors who oftentimes told Nebuchadnezzar what they thought he wanted to hear instead of what they needed to hear. Daniel was different. You know why Daniel was different? Because he represented the truth of the Word of God. I was reminded of that again this week as I stood before about 350 people in a standing room only chapel and I was reminded of this truth and we, not, we must never forget it. We have been entrusted with the greatest resource available to man today, and that's the truth of the Word of God. As frightening as it is sometimes to stand before people and tell them what you know they do not want to hear, we need to have confidence and the strength and the courage in the Lord to tell them the truth. While one fate awaits all people, speaking of death, you know what? There are two different destinies. 
While one fate awaits us all, the same destiny does not. And to stand before a group of people and say, look, you know what? We're all going to die, but we are not all going to heaven. Some of us grieve with hope and some of us grieve without hope. And the difference is those who grieve with hope are in Christ, for they know they've been forgiven of their sins because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for the forgiveness of their sins. We may all die, but we're not all heading the same place. And I know that's not a politically correct statement, but I don't really care because it's the truth according to the Word of God. We need to recognize and understand that we have the truth that have been entrusted to us that we need to share. We need to get away from activities and feel-good stuff to try to make people feel like they belong and they're a part. When you know what? If they don't know Christ and they've never given their life to Him, they'll never feel a, a, a belonging or a part of something they have not participated in. And that is the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God as they bow their head before Him and throw themselves on the mercy of God. They are not brothers and sisters in Christ. They are not part of the family of God. We need to recognize and understand. We want to make it available to all who will, will, will receive Him. But at the same time, let's never misunderstand the fact that, you know what? When people come to hear the Word preached, it's going to separate people and put them into the camp in which they fall. We need to recognize and understand that that is truth. And it's the truth that sets people free. The funeral that I was conducting was for a man who worked 25 years in the probation department. A man, according to anybody in probation and the many people that spoke, was a good man. And there are many people who work in probation and work in the justice system that think that they're better than the people that they're dealing with, obviously because the people they're dealing with are people that are offenders against the laws of our land. And many of them have a self-righteous or arrogant attitude that they're better than the people who are under them or have to report to them because they broke the law and they did not. They think they're better than them. You know, it's a frightening message to stand before those people and tell them simply this, you may think that you're better than the people who report to you, but the reality is that, you know what, you're no different than them. The only thing that you, they did was break the laws of man, but what we've all done is break the laws of God. We are all guilty before God. There is none righteous, no, not one, and all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the only thing that separates all of us is who, who among us have knelt down before the cross and asked for God's mercy and His forgiveness by believing in Jesus Christ. You see, the truth of the matter is that this dream was an alarm. And it alarmed Daniel, but it was truth. Nebuchadnezzar needed to hear the truth, and as we're going to see, it's the truth of God's message that led Nebuchadnezzar to become free from his sin. We look at this, and look at Daniel's advice. What separates those who are forgiven from those who are not forgiven? He says in verse 27, Therefore, O king, hey, you know what? <laughs> you got a real tough road ahead of you. I like it. That's what he's saying. You've got a real tough road ahead of you. Therefore, if I were you, I would break away now from my sins. If I were you, I would confess my sin. If I were you, I would agree with God that what he says is true. There's none righteous. No, not one. You may think that you're righteous. You may think that you're okay. You may think that in your own effort, in your own works, and in your own goodness that you're going to get into heaven. But you know what God says? That is pride if you believe that. And that's as arrogant as Nebuchadnezzar was. And that is what will keep you from the presence of God. Because pride comes before the fall. What he's saying is, if I were you, I would confess with God and agree that I am a sinner. That's where it starts. A right attitude before God. Those who conceal their sin will not find mercy, but those who confess their sin will find compassion. 
If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The prophet Micah said, what is it, O man? What is it that God requires of you? He said that you, that you do, well, here, in fact, turn with me to Micah chapter 6, 8, just for the purpose of knowing that it's in the Bible and that you can actually find it. Now, don't forget, we, got it, we only have a few minutes, so get to it as fast as you can, a couple of books ahead. But what is it that God requires of us? Notice what he says. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But what? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Wow. To walk humbly with your God. Now compare that to the arrogance and the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. What's fascinating as we look at this, and we look at the fourth area that we're going to discuss, and that's the consequences of the dream. Notice the consequences of the dream in verses 28 through 33. It says, all of this happened to Nebuchadnezzar. All of this happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And for those of you who are maybe confused about what his problem was, let me just show you very clearly what the problem of Nebuchadnezzar is. It says, all of this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Notice what Nebuchadnezzar says. It says, 12 months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Twelve months later, God in his patience, God in his loving kindness, God in his willingness that none should perish, but it all would come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. God in his patience for twelve months gave Nebuchadnezzar the opportunity to heed the counsel of Daniel, which was to confess his sin, acknowledge that he was not righteous, and to turn to God for forgiveness and begin to do good things as a result of his relationship with God. Notice what he says. Twelve months later, nothing's changed in this man's heart. He didn't heed the warning of God. There will be those who were at the funeral a couple of days ago that heard very clearly the warning of God, that we need to confess our sins, we need to throw ourselves upon the mercy of God, we need to believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. They heard it very clearly. But you know what will happen? Just the same thing that happens in your life and oftentimes in mine as I look back on my past. Hey, you know what? Once I got over it a couple of weeks went by, two or three or four or five or six or seven or maybe a month or two or three, I just went back to business as usual. God shook me up for a moment, but then you know what? I didn't let it, let it get to me. I didn't want to dwell on it. I didn't want to deal with it. Nebuchadnezzar didn't either. He didn't want to deal with what God was saying about his life. It says, the king reflected. Can you imagine? Can you picture the arrogance and the pride? As I was walking on the roof of my palace, oh, what a view! The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon great? Whoa! Is this not Babylon great? which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Am I not a stud or what? I could see the man strutting. Whoa! And nobody was with him. The guy was walking around going, man, I do good stuff. I am great. And everything I did was for me, for my glory, for my majesty, so I'd be recognized. Throw out the big image. Who's that for? That was for me. Who's the gardens for? Ah, that was for me. I said it was for one of my wives, but that was for me. 
Everything I did was for me. Why? Because me, 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 me. I'm so great. That's why I'm not back in this choir. <laughs> but what's the point? Everything was about him. Me, 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 me. I, 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 I. More, 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 more. I love this. You realize there's a point in life where God says, you know what? I've about had it with you. Let me show you something. And while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, I love this. You know why? God sees everything. God hears everything. There wasn't nobody else there on the roof but Nebuchadnezzar. And God said, I heard that nonsense. A voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and He bestows it on whomever He wishes. And immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. And he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. The judgment of God will come to pass according to the word of God. Just as it was true in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, it is true in our lives where the Word of God says, pride comes before the fall. It's interesting, Nebuchadnezzar failed to recognize that it was God who gave him everything that he had. His abilities, his very breath, his very life, the physical appearance that he had, the deliverance of his enemies, everything that Nebuchadnezzar had was given to him by God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What have you and I received that has not been given to us by God Himself? You're going to brag and you're going to boast and you're going to be arrogant? About what? That you have abilities that other people don't have? That you have gifts that other people don't have? You have material possessions that other people don't have? That you have a, a, a business card or a parking place that other people don't have? Let me just straighten you out according to the Word of God. You know what? The only reason you have any of that is that God has chosen to give it to you. And there's coming a day where if you don't recognize that truth, He will choose to remove it from you as well. Because in His love, He needs to get through our thick heads. He wants to expose the truth of the Word of God. I heard it said this way, the opposite of pride. Do not use people to build your work, but rather use your work to build people. I like that. Augustine said it in a different way. He said that there are two empires in the kingdom of men. One is to have and one is to be. It says, men who are promoted by having are men of pride with little concern for human condition. The word to be means to be all that God wants us to be. God sees the inner heart. He sees our spirit. He sees our soul. And in Nebuchadnezzar's case, he said it, that he did it. It was all him. And God said, no, it wasn't. And I'm going to show you that it wasn't. I'm going to... The Bible says in Proverbs 16:5, everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 16, 18, everyone, it says, goes on, it says, pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs 21, 24 says, a proud and haughty man, 
A scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. A scoffer. You know what a scoffer is? As a person, when you tell them something, they look at you and they say, they mock what you have to say. What do you know? What do you understand? You've never been there. You don't understand. And even when we share with them the truth of the Word of God, everything that you tell them is always followed by this. But, there's no buts. This is what God says. There's no buts. There's no explanations. There's no rationalization. There's, there's nothing else beyond that. This is what God says. You either accept it or you reject it. And when you say, but let me tell you, I don't want to hear it. If I'm confronted by someone with the truth of the Word of God, the last thing that I need to do is tell them, but you don't understand. Hey, because if I'm confused and I'm in the midst of being proudful or arrogant, you know what? I don't understand. Isn't it amazing? God in His patience gave him a year to confess his sin and he didn't do it. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. 1 Peter 5, 5-6 says, God's opposed to the proud. Always has been, always will be, but He gives grace to the humble. It says, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. Could you imagine? Nebuchadnezzar is out mowing his lawn with his teeth. I mean, it's not even like he was relegated to being, you know, a groundskeeper. He was mowing the lawn with his teeth. And his hair got all matted like that of a bird, and his nails got real long, and he got all just, he was a mess. I mean, could you imagine what was going on in the kingdom at that time? We better not let anybody see him. We may be vulnerable for an attack. Oh, you think? I mean, could you imagine they stuck him out in the backyard? And all these great advisors, I could just see all these advisors now going back and forth going, what are we going to do? What are we going to say? What are we going to do? Look at him, he's mowing the grass with his teeth. And every year that went by, he got nastier looking. The guy's a mess. What are we going to do? Oh, well, let's go eat. <laughs> you know, we have nothing to do, so let's go have some fun. But what's the point? The point is, God got the man's attention. And look what happened. And this is what we'll close on. The truth sets people free. The conversion of Nebuchadnezzar, please don't miss it. And at the end of that time, what time was that? The seven years. God said, you know what? This is going to happen to you. And you can confess your sin and get right with God right now. Or God's going to do as he said he'll do because God does not change his mind like man and he's not a liar. The reality of all of that is simply this and put it into context for us today. God's judgments are equally true for you and I today. If God says one fate awaits us all but not, two, not one destiny but two, we're either going to go to heaven or hell and God is going to hold us accountable to his word because he cannot change his mind and will not change his mind. He has warned us in advance those of us who confess our sin and turn to Him for forgiveness and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we will be saved from the judgment of God. Nebuchadnezzar did not bow his knees before God, and as a result, God carried out His judgment. you realize there's no one that will be in hell that isn't there because they rejected the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, and they chose judgment instead of forgiveness and mercy? How foolish are we? Nebuchadnezzar chose to mow the lawn with his teeth rather than to bow down before God and throw himself upon God's mercy. 
We laugh about that and think he's really stupid. But you know what? Hell's going to be filled with people who made a similar decision when they were here on this earth. Before I throw myself down on the mercy of God, I will do it my way. And he's going to have to let me in. Proud, arrogant, foolish man. He will not. Because there's only one way to the Father. And that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to get to heaven. There's no other way to find forgiveness. There is no other good work but believing upon Him whom God has sent. Speaking of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. That is where a relationship with God always starts. He raised his eyes towards heaven. He stopped looking at himself. He stopped looking at the men around him. And in his humility, he raised his eyes towards heaven. God, have mercy on me. And my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Isn't that fascinating? What did he do? He praised God. For the first time in his life, he praised God. It wasn't about him anymore. It's not about me. It's about he. That's what he did. He praised God. He praised and honored God. Instead of taking all the credit for himself, for the first time in his life, he praised and honored God. God, thank you for the life you've given me. Thank you that I woke up this morning. Thank you for a new day. Thank you for the abilities that you've given me. Thank you for the health that I have. Thank you for everything that I forget to thank you for because I owe it all to you. And he praised God because of it. Look, at he also said, I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Notice that he recognizes the sovereignty of God. You know what Nebuchadnezzar is saying? My stupid little kingdom, as great as it is here on earth, I finally acknowledge what God was saying in the vision that he had given me originally, that there's another coming after me, and another coming after that, and another coming after that, and you know what? And all of those are going to be shattered and destroyed by the rock that comes out of heaven, Jesus Christ, the rock of ages. When he comes and establishes his kingdom on earth, every other kingdom in the world will be shattered. You notice what he's saying? And his kingdom is the greatest kingdom that will, this world will ever see. And in his kingdom, it will endure from generation to generation because the kingdom of God will have no end. Wow. That's something to shout about. This man humbled himself before God and said, Lord, you know what? You are great and I am nothing. Despite everything I've got in this world, it's nothing compared to you. He says, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. There you go. You know what the problem with the world is today? We all think we're something. Every human being that thinks they're something, the one thing that they are is guilty of pride. Because we aren't anything. The psalmist says, Lord, you know what? We're but dust. What is it, God, that you would even consider us? We're just a big pile of walking, talking dust. And when the walking, talking stops, we're just going to be a pile of dust again. Remember then that you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. We're nothing. All the peoples of the world are nothing. I don't care what position God's given you in this lifetime. You are nothing. 
compared to God. And neither am I. Because all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. And He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, What have you done? None of us can question God. God, who do you think you are doing what you did? What kind of question is that? A proud, arrogant person questioning God? You remember Job as Job was struggling and troubled by everything that happened in his life? The one thing that God knew about his heart was Job had a propensity to question God. And in Job chapters 38 through 42, God says finally, you know what, I'm a little tired of you questioning me. Let me start to question you. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Explain to me how the earth stays in its orbit. Explain to me how this earth doesn't get destroyed and just go off its axis. Explain to me how we've got one sun out of the billions of suns in the universe and it's the only sun that doesn't fry us and it's the only sun that provides life for us. Why don't you people start explaining to me? You know everything. Now, that's a psychotic version of God, but, <laughs> but nonetheless, I'm trying to make a point. You know, there's a point where God says, Hey, I'm getting a little tired of this nonsense. And my judgments are true. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything He does is right and all His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. Wow. Did you catch that last one? Those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. The last couple of weeks for me with all this going on as far as uh, the death of this man and the imprisonment of his son. I've got to the point where I recognize that God's in total control of all things. And God has a way of humbling all of us. Sometimes we're arrogant and proud and we don't even know it. So God puts us in a situation where we just know that, you know what? God, I don't have the ability to do what I'm being asked to do. God, this is so much bigger than me. I need you. I need to pray to you. I need your strength. I need your encouragement. I need the prayers of God's people. And I can tell you on Thursday as I spoke that God honored those prayers. God honors prayer. The effect and fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. That God loves people. And he'll take whatever circumstances come up in life and he'll use those to draw people to himself. I had the privilege to go to the prison yesterday and meet with this young man. And through the brokenness of the experience that he had gone through, he threw himself on the mercy of God and asked Jesus Christ into his life. You see, no, don't, 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 don't. God get all the credit and all the praise and all the glory for that. But the reason I throw that out to you is that we have two, two choices in life. We can recognize our need for forgiveness and for the mercy of God and recognize that sin is sin in the eyes of God. And there's no big ones and no little ones. They're all the same to God. Though as human beings and human authority, we have different ways to deal with different situations. And rightfully so. But to, sin, to God, sin is sin. And we need to recognize and understand that there isn't a person here, regardless of what you've ever done, that can't throw yourself on the mercy of God and ask for His forgiveness 
and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And the Bible says whoever does that will be called a child of God to those who believe in his name. The only reason any of us will get to heaven is by the grace of God and his mercy. We will be trophies of the grace of God and not of a matter of works so none of us can boast. Nebuchadnezzar is going to be in heaven. One day we'll be, we'll be seeing him at that great reunion. And what a great story that he's told of how God took a proud and arrogant man, humbled him till he had nowhere else to turn but upon the mercy of God. I would encourage you, if you don't know where you stand with the Lord, that you humble yourself today, that you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and then you praise God for what he's doing in your life. Father, thank you for this time to be together. We just thank you for a morning of praise and worship. We thank you for the joy that we have in knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord, and Him crucified. God, thank you for the truth of the Word of God, for our salvation that's based on Christ and on Him alone. And we just praise you in His name. Amen.